The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 49 of the Ascent of Board Games. We are back sitting around the virtual table talking into each other's virtual ears about some kind of virtual board games. That was a terrible segue. Bet you did. I did. I did. I'm committed. No going back. We're going to do another recap episode. Way back in episode three, we did an episode called Batteries Included which talked about a lot of the electronic and even electrical uh, board games that we had seen and enjoyed in the past. And weirdly, in the past five years or so, there have been a lot of app-enabled and otherwise technologically interesting board games come out, so we wanted to talk about some of those. Well, we mostly wanted to talk about a couple of those, and then we dragged along some for the ride. Well, sure, yes, exactly. <laughs> we need the tentpole releases to hold the episode up, then we need to fill in. Right. Well, we got to be interested in the topic. Right? Sure. Exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. And we are definitely interested in the topic because we're all enormous nerds. And there are some rocking games in here. Yeah. There are. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I don't know if we need to recap any of the stuff we talked about last time. It went from a very early number called Electro, which really sounds like a game that would literally electrocute players for playing it wrong, especially since it was invented in 1910. All these are based on existing computers instead of included electronic, mm. uh, with one exception, which still needs a computer, phone, whatever with it. But there was a game called Atram, which was produced by Webster's Dictionary in 1984. Mm. This was a war game which ran on the ZX Spectrum, or ZX Spectrum, <laughs> if you're from that side of the pond, which dealt with the war game and gave you an opponent. Which would be kind of our first, you know, computer-assisted game. But it was still a board game, you know, you had physical components. Totally, yeah, it was a physical board game. And Mm -hmm. produced by Webster's, which is just weird. Like, Webster's as in the dictionary? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember, early on, 80s, you got things like Carmen San Diego, which came with an atlas. Okay. Okay. Back when we thought computers would be educational. (laughs) Didn't last long. Yeah. Oregon Trail taught you a lot, mm-hmm. mostly about sure how did. to die. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm sorry, it also taught me about population control at buffaloes. <laughs> <laughs> and the importance of dysentery. <laughs> All right, but seriously, as far as things that have come out since 2016, Frank, why don't you kick us off? So, first up would be 2017, we got the Unlock series. This is a group of escape room games, and there are a lot of these escape room games, and they've started matching the European releases in three-box sets. They are app-required, and each of them comes with a deck of cards, and you basically turn up the cards, read them, and then assemble them in the correct pattern to enter a number into the app. Essentially, this might be, you know, combine two objects, combine an object with a location, etc. Or, you know, enter a combination you find from a puzzle or looking at several cards. And so it's the typical exit style game. 
The app, though, actually goes above and beyond any of the others you've seen. The background app might make noises that you need. There are little mini games in the app. Sometimes you have to solve kind of like the casual games that Sandy plays perpetually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some small puzzles that you have to solve in the app. So they go, wow, that was a stare. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, you said that while she was in the room? Frank, you fool. (laughs) I'm an idiot, I know. But yeah, they do a great job with their app integration. They're on the easy side, but they'll often include weird little mini games in the app or subtle things where you might have to tap like on the right side of the app because of a clue given in a card or just odd little games hiding in there. Joe, are these the ones that you own? Yeah, I own a, a stack of them that we haven't had a chance to play through. And it's funny because they fit so conveniently into the IKEA Calyx baskets. And we, you've just got like a whole basket full of them, and I see them every now and then. I'm like, we should definitely play these. Yeah, in our infinite free time. In our infinite free time. <sighs> oh, yeah, totally. They're in the top tier of those escape room games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good to know. Which I have historically really enjoyed, and I think an app for an escape room game makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I do have one question. Do they give any sort of like hint system in it? Yeah. Okay. And you can just ask for him. And the app, I think in this one, yes, the app does the hint system. Mm-hmm. Some of the others you'll see, there's be like a hint deck or whatever. In this one, the app is aware of roughly where you are. I mean, yes, it's technology. It knows exactly where I am and exactly what I'm doing. And well, what you want to buy next. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. So that was the Unlock series, started in 2017 from Space Cowboys. There have been a bunch of designers on this one since the system started. So, And their Star Wars theme. I mean, pick a theme. I like the Tales from the Arabian Nights one a lot. They have so many now. For a while, I was keeping up, and then I stopped, and now I'm way, way behind. <laughs> and the publisher Space Cowboys. This is the same crew that's doing Time Stories. Mm-hmm. So if you like that, these are like little short, self-contained Time Stories things in some ways. And actually, a lot of ways. Very cool. In a lot of ways... Time Stories is my favorite board game, so... That's true. We have been told that before. Write that down in your journals about Joe. (laughs) Your copybooks now. Next one I wanted to mention just fairly quickly, because I haven't actually gotten to play it, shame on me, is Clank Clank in in Space. space. And you have to say it like that, because the exclamation points are in the title. It's a 2017 from Paul Denon, published by Renegade Game Studios. This is... Clank, which you may remember, we've talked about before. It's a competitive deck building game where you're traveling around and gathering stuff and eventually making noise that will cause the big bad guy to come after you. It was a dragon in Clank in this one. It is Lord Erraticus, who is basically (laughs) sort of like the mighty Zerg, only legally distinct. Mm -hmm. And basically you're doing much the same thing in Clank in In space that you were in Clank, not in space. The interesting thing about it here is that there is a solo mode, which involves an app that is strictly for solo play. And basically, it will do things like there's sort of a mini boss in the app that will basically buy cards from the market at the end of the turn, which on the one hand makes your life a little more difficult, but also makes sure the market keeps moving. Because if there's a bunch of either expensive or unwanted cards, there's no way for you to get them out there without buying them and putting them in your deck. So having that artificial competitor is pretty useful that way. I do like solo board games. I may wind up having to pick this one up. 
I did see something on the Geek just recently that the publisher has apparently changed. Renegade is apparently no longer doing Clank stuff. It's been taken over by Direwolf Games. And apparently that means they have changed the app. So anybody who had an in-progress game in the Renegade app, uh, sorry, you're done. Hmm. So that's That's unfortunate. Anyway, Clank is a good game engine. I like the solo version. This seems like a well-done one. So something to consider. Yeah. So we just finished playing through Clank Legacy. Mm -hmm. Is it better than? Is it better than Clank Legacy? Well, I think for a lot of us, Legacy games are just a little bit better than non-legacy games of the same genre. I mean, that's sort of a very broad statement, but I like Mm -hmm. changing things. So this is not campaign-based, is it? No. No. Just the regular standalone game. It's Clank with more mechanics. Yep. And in space. Yeah, and the board is a little bit terrifying. It's sort of vaguely spaceship-shaped, and there's just a lot of small spaces in different shapes with lines connecting them. And it looks a little terrifying. It's probably fine in play, but... Yeah, it's okay. So that was Clank Clank in in space. space. So, taking us into the wilds of 2018... So long ago. I know. Chronicles of Crime, David Cicero, published by Lucky Duck Games. And I think Lucky Duck Games are one of the best for continuing to use apps in a good way. A lot of their games will have an app integration and we talk about futures you know we'll be mentioning them a bit as well as they turn up later chronicles of crime is really their first game and it's a kind of a very sherlock holmes consulting detective descendant you go to places you investigate you talk to people you look at items you may use an item with a person etc and there are cards for people items and locations. All of these are generic and they have a Q code on them. And so the app completely drives everything. So the same item may appear in multiple cases, in which case, depending on which case you're running, you just wave it in front of the camera and it'll immediately give you the text for that particular mystery. So when you say they're generic, is the item like a knife or is it yeah, like, like item five? A knife or a camera or a location would be the park. So okay. if you have to interview someone and you know you're at the park, you'll go to the park, but you know, you'll go it and then you'll see they're there and you have an option to interview them. Yeah, this is what the park is like during this scenario. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that they could in fact they have written additional mysteries since the game came out. And they're just downloadable because you've have all the components. Mm-hmm. Also in their one true gimmick when you do the initial survey of the crime scene or occasionally i think when you look at a particular scene they'll do the google cardboard thing where basically you take the phone and clip it into a google cardboard or mini vr viewer mm-hmm. and then you can actually look around the crime scene oh that's cool that's fun oh yeah totally and it is and you do get clues just kind of poking around so they have what they call the millennium series which is like chronicles of time specific time period have you played any of the Chronicles of Time Millennium series, Frank? No, and they've actually done a couple series since the base. I've only played the base game. So it, it looks interesting because the Chronicles of Time series very much says to me time stories in a very similar way, right? Yeah. It definitely feels like they're like, well, what if we took Chronicles of Time and then also just made time stories and just like 
smash them together and that you know i'm always interested in that kind of thing so although i don't get the impression that there's any kind of continuity right like you would get in time stories yeah but yeah i have looked at those although i feel like doing all of the vr and the qr code stuff and everything doesn't work quite as well for chronicles of the middle ages Mm -hmm. as it does for today but that may just be me we'll talk about that later will we yes we will okay I'll allow it. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it really plays a lot like the consulting detective. And it's definitely in that genre. You know, there's a murder, chase, interview suspects. You've played it. And in fact, our next game is uh, another version of that. Yeah, I was going to say, I always get these two conflated in my brain. Uh, but real quick, for Chronicles of Crime, once you've played a given case, I'm assuming You're you can really only play it once. Yeah. They do suggest if you fail, you can replay it. Right. But it's also pitched a little easier than the next game, <laughs> which is kind of hard. Uh, yeah, that's well. an interesting statement, considering. Yeah. Yeah, so the next game in the series, Chronicles of Crime is a little bit too simple. Let's get really, really deep into it with Detective, a modern crime board game by Portal Games, released in 2018. Who are the designers, Joe? <laughs> Uh, really? Okay. <laughs> uh, you you uh, asked wait, for this. Wait, wait, Joe. Preemptively, we apologize. Yes, to the entire nation of Poland and indeed all of yes. Eastern Europe. Uh, that first name is fascinating for the just the first guy, Preznev Mysla Reimer, Jakub Lapot, and Ignacy Trezewick. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's that's as good as we could ask for. <laughs> we nailed it. Yes. And also, we're sorry. <laughs> so, Detective, a modern crime game, is a series of interrelated cases. And ultimately, the app integration is really a large, complicated paragraph book, right? So it's like, Detective, instead of shipping with a big, complicated, thousand-page paragraph book for your paragraph game of the, all these interconnected missions... They just have you log into a website, which will also track your progress to the game, which is really nice because it allows you to go back and like examine clues and information you've got in like previous sessions, which each of the sessions have some amount of building on each other, right? So you might be like, oh, I remember that name from uh, two missions ago. And because the connected app has a track of all the stuff that you've seen, you can go back and look directly at the evidence you collected two games ago relatively easily. The app is actually pretty well put together for that specific activity. Yeah, I remember there were things like, you know, well, yeah. there's you, you find some blood on this object, and depending on whether you've got DNA samples from certain people, it may be, oh, well, this is from Steve the Gardener, yep. or you don't know who this is from. So it's nice that it carries that sort of diverse range of options. The thing I remember about this is that I remember enjoying the cases, thinking they were interesting the way they wove together. But the time frame on the cases is very short. I know. There's like a lot of places you need to go and you need to spend time traveling between them and you're not going to be able to investigate all the stuff. Yeah, the overtime and stress system I thought was, let's call it a little overtuned. It's a little punishing. Yeah. They came out with a later version, um, I think last or in 2021, 2020, it's all blur now, Mm -hmm. um, that was simpler. And trim down the stress system. It's a different game with different cases and a little lighter. Okay. Yeah, the Detective on Modern Crime Board Game Season 1 is what it's called. That's like, yeah. <laughs> and it is clearly them wanting to continue to release more of these and be a little bit 
let's call it more broad streamy appeal because like i do think it, like the level of punishing of it was a lot in a uh, detective a uh, modern crime board yeah, yeah and it's really the time restrictions yeah 100%. i complained about yeah yeah because it feels like they did a good job of like making it feel really immersive mm-hmm. but then the time restrictive has the opposite effect which is like it feels really immersive but also you don't have time to like immerse yourself in it because of this like separate time mechanism yeah yeah and now is this the one that had i remember there was like an expansion pack of custom cases from like rob davio and some other guys it was like a 1970s Starsky and Hutch one. And- yeah, there's like Dig Deeper by Rob Davio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is one thing I like about a lot of these app-driven games is that it's pretty easy to make new cases, adventures, quests, whatever you want to call them, just as DLC. So you, mm-hmm. you don't really need to buy any new components. Yeah. Although this one does have new cards for its new cases. Yeah. And yeah, they also have like an LA Crimes one. They have a couple in, kind of in the series. Mm-hmm. I would guess, based on their most recent game being Detective of Modern Crime Board Games Season 1, is their intention is to tell a full story, but then also allow you to kind of reference back to previous seasons. But you know, I haven't actually played the new one or seen what the second season looks like. We need more infinite free time. You can imagine where it would go conceptually. Sure. I like the idea. So that was Detective, a modern crime board game. So, and still in the halcyon days before the pandemic, 2019, we had The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth by Fantasy Flight Games, which was Fantasy Flight Games. Mm -hmm. This was designed by Nathan Hajek and Grace Holdinghouse. And this is kind of the progression of Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, which we love reviewing Mm -hmm. previous. Basically, you play the various Tolkien characters, like Les Gimli, Aragorn, the usual crowd. Mm-hmm. And you're going on little miscellaneous adventures to deal with orcs. I think this happens before Lord of the Rings in terms of their timeline. Mm. And you're mostly dealing with an orc incursion. The way this works, you get these weird-shaped tiles, odd hex mixes, and they're plopped on the board as you play. Similar to the way Mansions of Madness would show you tiles. When you move off a tile or at certain spots or move to an observation point, you'll reveal more tiles. And that will spawn orcs or various other creatures, which will also spawn at the end of a round. And the system driving it is interesting because it's got a deck building thing going. Your character is represented by a deck of cards that you use both to turn up with successes and failures on the cards as well as you get some cards that you can lock into below your character for use later to discard for powerful uses or, I think, stat bumps. And over the course of the campaign, which is about 10 games, your characters will get newer cards, gradually level up, and become more powerful, be able to fight bigger things. But the structure of the game is very like Mansions of Madness. You know, you go to a spot, see what's there, sometimes that'll fight sometimes you'll make a test which you turn up so many cards from your deck mm-hmm. and it's potentially an awesome game with a big butt uh-oh well i like big butts and a kind of sorry go on i set it up you asked for it you asked <laughs> everything for it. is ruined now everything is ruined podcast yeah, over it has that time thing oh man there is really not enough time in particular, you basically gain 
a progression system for every player turn. So if you play with a bunch of players, you won't get a lot of turns. Sometimes it's like two or three turns per player, and you've got a whole laundry list of things to fulfill. Okay, that is one of my least favorite mechanics to because it actively punishes you for playing with more people. How dare you have friends? My punishment for having more people play this game should not be everybody gets to play slightly less amount of game. Yeah. That feels so weird. And this is not the only game that does it. The Seventh Continent, it has a similar punishment system. Mm. Yeah, with the cards. For more people, every person can hold less cards. It's just like, don't do that. Yeah, like that felt real bad for Seventh Continent. Yeah. But this combines it with a case where there's a lot of side stuff. And a lot of, you know, inconsequential things that you can do, but so rigid time that you have to do the right one. And if you misinterpret, you know, which one's the side quest, no, you'll blow the main quest. It will let you continue, but it'll give you a fail and Mm. make things a little harder on you for the future ones, which is terrible design. I mean, really, that's just wrong. They needed to rein in their time pressure mechanic. I feel like the idea was to keep the game from getting a lot longer with more players, but it sounds like they've gone too far in the other Which way. works. I mean, it actually does scale because you get multiple people who can deal with the tasks and everything. Mm-hmm. But in this case, they should have scaled it a little because everyone still has to move. Right. And they just didn't do it right. That's a shame. Yeah, it's almost a good game. I want to go back and play it with you know a couple people because the game mechanics are great. The story and everything move very like Mansions of Madness. And in a lot of ways, it, except for that stupid time pressure thing, it's a great game. Yeah, that is one thing that worries me a little bit about the app-driven games in general, is that a lot of times if it's just a board game thing, it's fairly easy to sort of house rule stuff. And when there's an app that's controlling a lot of that functionality, you don't always have that option. Yeah, it's much harder here. And uh, the board is a little less superfluous. I mean, mm-hmm. because they, you know, they show it on the app where you are on the board and everything. Uh-huh. Basically, handles spawns and events as well. Okay. All right. So potential, but not quite there. Yeah, it's a shame. That was the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. Yeah, it did get a bunch of expansions. I don't know if they learned. <laughs> I mean, it's Fantasy Flight, so of course expansions, expansions. are to be expected. Yeah, but the expansions continued. They just came out with one. So even under Asmodee, it survived, unlike some other games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Right, so moving on to 2020, when everything started going to hell. First one I wanted to talk about is a game that I think would have succeeded without the pandemic, but really kind of took off because it was so well set up for remote play. And that is Forgotten Waters. It's a 2020 release from Plaid Hat Games, designed by Isaac Vega, J. Arthur Ellis, and Mr. Bistro. This is a silly pirate game. Basically, it involves you cooperatively traveling around the map. Each location on the map or each encounter is basically a big two-page spread in the spiral-bound book where you have a big piece of art on one side, and the other side basically a list of actions you can do. And the different players, and there can be up to seven players in the game, it supports a pretty good sized group, each sort of in turn choose what actions they're going to take based on their swagger. Shiny stars. Swagger. So whoever has the most swagger goes first, and whoever 
is the lowest kind of ranking at the moment winds up doing things like having to feed the crew or something lame like that. And then basically you go in and, and you have little encounters and you make skill checks and you improve your character. There are a couple things about this game that I really enjoy. First off, it plays up with seven people. It's a lot of fun. There is a book of 20 or so different pirates that you can play. And when I say a book, it's a pad of printouts. And each one has a very distinct sort of shtick and story. And they start with a different pile of skills. But basically, the character's story is sort of a Mad Lib style Mm -hmm. progression. And whenever you improve enough skills and check off enough boxes, you get to read another part of your story. And they're very silly, but they're well-written. My favorite is the skeleton pirate. Basically, everyone insists that he's just an animated skeleton, but he's like, no, obviously I'm not just an animated skeleton. I'm a pirate just like you. The fact that I can go down to the bottom of the ocean and come back up just means I can hold my breath for a long time. (laughs) Not an animated skeleton. That would be crazy. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing is the app that handles the encounters and travel and timing and everything has full audio, and audio in games like this is always kind of hit or miss. Sometimes it's just one of the game developers reading out the dialogue like an audiobook, or sometimes it's a well-known actor reading out the stuff like an audiobook. But these are actually multi-voice, different actors, great sound effects. And the writing is actually funny. Oh, yeah. Which is rare in games like this. So Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. We were talking about DLC. They've released one DLC pack so far, which is basically just you click on the app and say, I want this new thing. And you pay your $5 or whatever it is. You don't need any new components. There's a whole new adventure. There's, I think, five adventures in the base game and one or two in the DLC. Each of them takes maybe three, four hours to play through. It's just a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And for the pandemic, they also did a second app, which is web-based, mm-hmm. which replaces the sideboard and the choice mechanism. So you could play it remote. And that's how we played it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One person has a copy so that you can display or keep track of where things are on the map, but all the rest of it is handled on their web app. And I think it was something they put together fairly last minute as the pandemic was sort of becoming apparent and it turned out to be a huge success. Yeah, they actually did it after the game was released and we were beta testers for the app and it worked really well. And again, I've never never played it uh, locally, which is weird. Mm-hmm. We've gotten I think one game at the table of this. Yeah, the one thing that's a little unfortunate about it is just that There's basically like one scenario, which is like, this is the one you should play the first time. And then you can sort of branch out into all the different ones. But it's sort of thing that when you have a different group of players and you've played with before, they kind of want to do the first scenario. It's hard to get on to some of the later ones unless you have a group that's playing it consistently. The scenarios do change up things. I've played the bonus scenario as well. Mm -hmm. I tested it for them. And it gets weird. That's very clever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they definitely are doing some interesting things with the world. Yeah. The other thing I really wish they would release for it, and I don't know if they're doing any further support for it, I haven't seen much on it recently, is I wish there was an additional pad of pirates. Because those are some of the best parts of the game, and when you've kind of run through them, it starts to get a little bit repetitive. Yeah, good point. And I am just seeing that there is a successor coming out to it, it's not pirate-themed, but it's going to be, what they say, a spiritual space successor space to this theme. one. 
I mean, probably, probably, it's like pirates, but in space. Yes. I'm in. Let's do it. I mean, sure. So I suspect that whatever it is, I will wind up buying it. Yeah, totally. Space. And that is Forgotten Waters. I just saw on the Geek, I don't know if this was included in the game or not, but there's a pirate Mm -hmm. name generator. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the back of the rollback, actually. You just need some (laughs) some 10-sided dice and off you go. That's great. Yeah. Next one is also me, which is 2020's The Search for Planet X from Renegade Game Studios by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. This is a deduction game, and those of you who have been listening for a while will know that I'm a sucker for deduction games. Basically, you are exploring the universe. Space. There's basically a circular grid with different sectors of space. Space. And you are trying to figure out which one of those contains Planet X. And there are specific rules on what can be where. You know, if there are asteroids, you know, asteroids always come in pairs into adjacent sector. You will get different clues at the start of the game that says, in this particular game, there are three nebulas and none of them are adjacent to each other. Or, you know, whatever individual set of clues you have. And basically, all the players are getting different clues. And you are basically going around the table, investigating different sectors. And depending on how big an area you explore, you know, the bigger the area, the less information you'll get. It's a big old logic puzzle. It has a lot of sort of an alchemist's vibe in that you're periodically sort of publishing or publicly sharing some of the information you've discovered. But it is, I think, a lot more streamlined than Alchemist's, and the actual deduction part is good. The app is very good at giving out clues, and the app really drives the whole deduction process. You're like, all right, I'm doing a two-point investigation in Sector 3. Here's what you find. Don't tell anybody else kind of thing. It's kind of weird because the game's a little slower progressing in some ways in feel because only one person's getting information at a time. Mm-hmm. That's true. I was also surprised that the app is multiple people can run the app. Basically, it looks like there's a random seed for each game. Mm-hmm. When one person starts the app, it gives you that random seed or game name or four digit letter combo. And anyone else can fire up the app as well. So multiple people can have their own app. Yeah. And so you don't have, have to pass phones around. Or, yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is clever. Yeah. I mean, it's not anything groundbreaking as far as deduction games go, but it's really solid. It's well put together. The app integration is very clever and I like it. Yeah, agreed. And that is all I have to say about that. Search for Planet X. Brian likes it. Thumbs up. <laughs> so next, let's talk about Cuphead, the fast rolling dice game. Again? Faster. Faster. No, 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 why? I just needed one duck. It was it was awful. Designed by Patrick Marino, published by the OP, which is still wow. I just the name is amazing. Doesn't make any sense. Just wow. Released in 2021. And like this one is right on the edge. We actually had some discussions before the show about whether this one actually fit in or we're kind of fell into our audio uh section that we're gonna kinda talk about at the end. Kind of like honorable mentions function. Good news, Joe. It does technically have an app integration. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, that's what we were talking about. Like, it has an app integration. The question kind of became, well, does this still fit? And I argued it did, and so allow me to present my case, and then everyone can agree or disagree with me. The game has a timer, right? And the timer, it's functionally a 20, 15, or 10-second timer. When you use the app, it has music that plays during the timer that 
actively speeds up based on the length of your timer, right? So depending on whether you use the 20 or 15 or 10 second timer, it'll use a similar audio clip, but like towards the last five seconds, the audio in the app actually changes to warn you that you're about to run out of time. Because a time-based dice rolling game isn't stressful enough. Exactly. (laughs) No, God, no. And I think it's right on the other side of app integration. I think that that extra audio cue really adds to the stress of the game and also like helps you make informed decisions about the game. So that's why I think it rises just barely, just barely <laughs> into the app integration level as opposed to, to, hey, this is just a timer that happens to be an app. Yeah, you could do a 20 second timer on your phone, but that's not as fun. Well, not only is it not as fun, but it is surprising how much the sound that is in that app adds to the value of the game Mm -hmm. because we were at a convention once and we introduced a group of players to this game without sound and it did not have the same feel to it it did not have that rush of excitement as you listen to that music speed up so i agree with joe it really adds to the game Yeah, I could definitely see that. And if it's based on the music from the video game, that music is great. It It is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would be hard for them not to. But yeah, that sounds like, you know, again, it sounds, you know, before talking about it, I was like, well, it's a timer. That doesn't need to be an app, but it sounds like it is really a nice touch. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. And it barely rises, I would say, to the (laughs) lever we have for this list, but I think it does just barely enter into it. And, you know, the Cuphead game, for those of you who haven't played it, is great. I actively enjoy it. I think everyone should at least give it a chance. Like, fast dice rolling games are not for everyone. (laughs) It certainly requires a lot of hand-eye coordination. There's a ton of tension in the game. But if those two things are your bag, this game is very excellent. It's at the point where even I am considering giving it a try at some point, despite the fact that dice hate me. I mean... Brian, I played it. I enjoyed it. I'm just as bad as you as <laughs> rolling true. dice. That's true. It's definitely Oh, actually, stressful. Jason and I should play this against each other. We oh. can discover once and for all who's worst at dice. <laughs> Except it's a cooperative game. No. So. Purely cooperative. Uh, cooperative just and legacy. Tank our game for everyone else. <laughs> yes. Cooperative and legacy. It's got oh, all God. the buttons, man. <laughs> I would argue that this is legacy. Campaign. Light. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's legacy in the same way that the Harry Potter Hogwarts battle game is, where it's like, every time you do another thing, you open up a box and it introduces you to your new bad guy, it gives you some new mechanics, and those are really well done. I like the way it adds in layers of thinking to dice that do not change. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. they do some clever things there. But it's not a, you're not changing components. Well, it's funny because what it does is it makes you do dice conversion in your head because the dice are all symbols. Right. And it's going to say like, hey, for this boss, these symbols now mean these different things. And it's not like punches jump. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you jump, you are now doing an upward facing airplane. (laughs) Or if you duck, you're doing a downward facing airplane. So those make sense but also you have to spend that extra second to stop and mentally convert your role you have to constantly recalibrate your brain Mm. right and like it's that's it's just a slight additional bit of complexity but like because the game is already so tight that extra bit of complexity is noticeable when you're like (laughs) oh wait duck means go down 
And there's no take-backs. If you place a die, it's stuck there on your board. You just have to deal with it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that's that's a really rough part. Brian, you mess up one, you're like, uh-oh. Well, <laughs> I'm going to need some help, guys. <laughs> well, the good news is each round only takes, like, a minute, so it's yeah. not a, a huge commitment there. Yeah, the game plays very quickly. Joe, doesn't the app also grade you, or is that in the actual manual? I think The app also grades you. <laughs> oh, good. So now my phone is judging me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, case you weren't feeling stressed out enough, it'll also say, well, you won, but you got a D. Good job. Yes, exactly. Uh, you won, but you didn't win good enough for me to be impressed. So get out of here, kid. So I will actually say one thing I don't like about their grading system is the only way that you can get the best grade is by playing on a shorter timer. And that 10-second timer, I I don't see how that would even be possible for a human to do. You've watched well, people play the game, right, ready. Mike? <laughs> like the the actual video game? Like they do inhuman things in that, so there must be an inhuman dice roller just gets every every icon they need every time they roll a die. I'm convinced they exist. I can't wait to see the team that sits down to do the Cuphead fast rolling dice game speed, speed run. run. It's mm-hmm. gonna be great. We just need to find Mirror Universe, me and Brian, and we would destroy it. Ooh. Yes, exactly. Ooh. So I have to shave my goatee? <laughs> yes. Maybe that's the problem all this time. <laughs> You've been the evil Brian all along. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was Cuphead, the fast rolling dice game. Yeah. So let's keep the theme going with rolling lots and lots of dice, albeit much, much slower. 2021, we released Descent Legends of the Dark, which is essentially the third edition of Descent, created by Kara Centel Dunk and Nathan I. Hajek, maybe? Probably? Possibly? I apologize. <laughs> released by Fantasy Flight Games, which you're seeing some trends here, I suspect, with the, the same game company names popping up over and over again. Technically released by Asmodee US, because Fantasy Flight is gone. Gone. It's gone. True. Yeah, I think yeah. they still... Hmm, I'm going to have to check the This, was, that, this was actually after Asmodee, so yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I don't want to speak that name, but fine. Yeah, I know. So we're back to everybody's favorite world setting, Terranoth, where everyone loves the rich, deep lore of, of that world. Always. I played mm-hmm. like 25 games in this setting, and I think the only thing I remember are runestones. They have runestones, something like that. I don't know. They do. <laughs> yes, you are right. There are runestones everywhere. They're just falling <laughs> off trees. But unlike the previous second edition that they released, this one does require an app integration. And they did that for a number of different reasons. Uh, the app is doing a lot of things that would be, I guess, possible to do with cards and such, but it'd be a real pain. Specifically, while you're playing the game, the app, of course, will build out the game board. So as your characters are moving around the board, they'll find these, what do they call them, like, sight tokens? Yeah, sight tokens. Yeah, runestones. <laughs> no, they're not runestones. <laughs> Everything is runestones. It's runestones <laughs> all the way down, man. <laughs> As the characters encounter these these site tokens, it will essentially load the next tile for that room. And the app will instruct you as to what the facing is. It'll tell you what tile it is. It'll tell you what terrain or objects might be on that. And of course, what enemies are there. But the app goes a little further than that. When you encounter these objects that are on those map tiles, you can interact with those objects. The app will tell you what you get when you interact with them. Sometimes you're even given an option. How do you want to interact with this object? For example, you might find a, let's say, a glass vial of some liquid, and you can like take it, you can smash it. You know, different options will yield different results that the app will instruct you into. You know, what you're actually getting. It also handles all of the combat, and so they've kind of abstracted the combat a little bit in this game, 
when you're attacking enemy in the app, you'll select your hero. You'll select the enemy that you're attacking, and you'll roll some physical dice that indicate essentially the number of successes you have in hitting the enemy. Now, the enemies, of course, have health, but they also have armor values. And one of the little things that they changed is these armor values are not static. So you can look at the stats of an enemy, and it's like, oh, it has armor value of 2. That means its armor can range anywhere from 0 to 2 when you hit it. And you don't know what that value is going to be when you're attacking. So maybe it's 0, and you get real lucky, and you can do a lot of damage. Maybe it's 2, and it absorbed all the successes that you had. You don't know. So it's another bit of variability in the way that the game resolves. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. (laughs) Depends on how lucky you happen to get. But it also models the enemy's behaviors. It'll tell you who the enemy is going to attack. It'll tell you how much damage the enemy does. And sometimes the enemy will just, it'll give you a little bit of flavor text. Uh, The evil shaman over there starts glowing and staring angrily at player two, or, you know, whoever that might be, (laughs) indicating that they're about to do one of their power-up attacks. So, hey, maybe player two, get the hell out of there. Or maybe another character needs to try and intervene before that pops, because usually when they give you a warning, it's going to be real bad when it actually hits you. So the app, once you get used to using it, I'd say it's pretty easy. It is a little a little more work, you know, if you want to hand it off to people, like, because you're using it typically on an iPad or something like that. Uh, I usually just designate one person to be in charge of it, because it just makes it a lot more streamlined. Mm-hmm. If you've played any of the Descent games, they're not exactly known for being short. <laughs> but if you choose to play the campaign mode, it's also going to do things like track what crafting items you find, track what weapons you find. It'll track your leveling up. You have a series of achievements unique to the character that will unlock other things for you. So there's a whole little crafting mini game. There's a item management game. You can choose what quests you're going on. You can unlock new characters. Like it's pretty well integrated. Like in terms of it's doing a lot of things you couldn't do with the original Descent. Yeah. For an example, of that for the achievements. If you do this quest and complete an achievement. Actually, you just tell it you got a point toward the achievement, and it'll track it. And then when it completes the achievement, it'll be something like, oh, you know, so much percent chance to crit. And for the rest of the campaign, when it's calculating damage, it'll deal with the crit calculations. And automatically include that. So most of those kind of perks just go straight into the math in the app, so they're transparent to you, which is nice. Yeah, no, that sounds very cool. I really like that. Like anytime the computer can take in information like that and then run it behind the scenes without you know, yeah. like in essence, becoming a randomizer. And yes, I know that is skirting dangerously close to just being a computer game. <laughs> yep. Like I super love it. Now, I do also really like a crafting system in an adventure board game. Does this one, like, how does this one compare to like the crafting system of? one of our favorite games, Kingdom Death Monster. It's kind of weird. So the crafting system, you're not necessarily crafting an entire item, like a weapon or a piece of armor. Usually you're crafting pieces of an item. So for example, you can get different halves on your your weapon. Like let's say you've got a, a staff and maybe it's got a different ornamental thing on top. And now it has a percentage chance of critting or it can you know, mm-hmm. hit an enemy that's adjacent or something like that. So a lot of it is, hey, we completed these missions, we found these essentially recipes that we can craft, and now we can modify our weapons uh, as we go along. So unlike in the Distant Second Edition, where you're actively unequipping and equipping different weapons and armor and stuff like that, this one is, you have a weapon, you're just Now you can, you can get new weapons, that. too. And then yeah, yeah you, there are new weapons. Um, and then Why they, not both? Yeah, <laughs> <I'd like. laughs> exactly. <laughs> Collect them all. Yeah, 
you could min-max it as much as you want. You know, some people would probably be turned off by trying to manage that sort of thing, but some people get really into it. A lot of it's just how much do you want to engage with that part of it. Mm. I've been having a lot of fun with it. We've played a decent amount into it. And it's nice because your characters also make choices. I think they're called convictions, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Where during some of the little story bits where they have the dialogue between the characters and whoever they're interacting with, you can make decisions, and it, it's basically pushing you down one or two. There's two different paths, and I haven't seen where that pays off yet. I suspect there's going to be some sort of like either skill or item or something that happens later on in the game that's going to be based off of those decisions you made earlier. But we'll see. I don't know how much that's going to play into it. But it's it's a nice diversion between loading screens, I guess, where you get to pick, oh, well, my guy's going to be a complete asshole, this person. I'm going to keep being an <laughs> asshole and see what happens. The quest and scenario design in this game is great. The scenarios are very different. There are events where they change out the board and things in elaborate ways and just screw with the base, kind of. It's a lot more impressive. Kara Sintel Dunk was a level designer on Mansions of Madness. And since she's kind of one of the lead designers, it seems clear that parts of the game engine were designed to do things in the level that she wanted to do. Hmm, and nice. so it's it looks like it's a you know scenario driven much more. I think that's what makes it really good as a game. Also the bits are jaw dropping. Yeah, they've really improved their miniatures game. The miniatures, if you're familiar with the original Descent or even Imperial Assault, they were kind of a I wouldn't say a soft plastic, but you know, a plastic you could bend pretty easily. Yeah, a little more bendy. Yeah. I have painted a non-zero number of them, so... (laughs) These are pre-assembled hips minis. Nice. Fully assembled, so straight out of the box, which is nice. Yeah, they're they're gorgeous minis. They did a really good job on them. They went a little elaborate on the hero characters, where their character models spill out of their their square. (laughs) (laughs) Positioning someone with a giant staff next to someone with a giant sword, you're like, okay, turn them this way, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they were thinking there. Like, guys, come on now. They got to be standing next to each other sometimes. They must fit on your board game. <laughs> yeah, and they also have this cardstock 3D scenery that comes with the game, which is why it came in such a huge box. That's like back to Hero yeah. Quest days. They previewed that a whole lot. They were really pushing it. Yeah, I know. And when you get the box, like half the box is empty. It's just storage space for the cardstock. Yeah, so, it, it does all fit. Well, I'll give them credit for that, which is fortunate because it's a giant box. Yeah, I would say my only real, like, legitimate complaint in the game is that it just, other than the minis, you know, clanging into each other constantly, they don't give you enough dice. And I play this game with Curtis, so you can imagine how fun that is trying to, to pull the <laughs> dice away from him. Unlike whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute. You play this game with friends of the show, Curtis. Where was my invite? <laughs> Get out. Uh-huh. It doesn't, and this is, a, I think, a first for a Descent game. There's no way to buy extra dice, which really surprised me, because I was like, huh. I will just buy them, because it's much more convenient. Level Up Dice sells them for $9 a piece. Hmm. That's per die. Wow. <laughs> so, so, no, wow. not, not doing that. <laughs> well, wait, if the app can do so much stuff, surely they can put a die roller in the app. You would think. Well, also, like, feels like fantasy fight slash asmodez mo to just be like you need extra dice here you go pay mm. us the bunnies yeah I, it's rare for them to leave money on the table but this right. time they certainly are unless they plan on putting them in later like maybe later boxes will have uh, so yeah let's talk about later boxes 
Okay. I think this game is dead. Basically, we're not yeah, going to ever see anything else for it. I was going to say. Have- That's not true. They announced at Gen Con that they were making a Season 2. and there is Really? A, they actually did? Yeah, there's an add-on module that's going to be separate from the campaign that they're doing. But that was announced back when they first released the first one, and I haven't seen any physical components for it, so who knows? So yeah, they actually yeah they announced a small add-on due for last winter. Basically last year, I think the 2021 when it came out. And they actually pulled that little small expansion. Oh, did they? You don't see it referenced anywhere on Fantasy Asmodee's site. So that's like, oh, wait, what happened to this little expansion that you're going to do? And it's not even mentioned anymore. Hmm. Hmm. That's not a great sign. Like, this is definitely the slowest they've ever released anything for Descent, because good lord, there's, I don't know how many expansions for the previous version of the game. Yeah. Well, I hope that's not true. I mean, I, I have enjoyed the time I've spent with it. I thought they did some interesting things with it, and we've been having fun with it, but ugh, I, ugh. <laughs> it would be real upsetting. Oh, I think it's a great game. The only complaint maybe I have, which may not be a complaint, it allows you to explore. There's no time pressure at all. I'm pretty yeah, sure. true. <laughs> well, monsters keep spawning. <laughs> there's def- that's definitely time Sure, pressure. <laughs> but there's, they spawn at a pretty slow pace. They do. And so there is definitely enough time to explore. I don't think we've ever been really affected by monster spawning in the middle of an adventure. Usually it's just when we open up rooms. Maybe it starts doing more of that later. You know what? I, I think I'm thinking of a specific level where there's a guy sleepwalking and you have to protect him while he's oh, free God. world. Yeah. I don't know, Frank. What you've just described sounds pretty great, actually. Oh, it is. <laughs> it's like one of the best games we've seen of this type, and it is so good. I mean, the game engine and everything. One other thing that the game does all of your item cards, weapons are two-sided. Yeah. And one of the actions you can do is flip it over. So when you use fatigue, which is a classic descent thing to, you know, bump or affect a weapons thing, a fatigue and conditions that you get can go on your cards that kind of limit how you can use your cards. But one of your actions is to flip it over and that gets rid of everything on that card, all tokens including fatigue, so you can reuse it again and get that fatigue back. But it also changes what the card does. Yeah, that's probably my favorite inclusion in terms of the rule set that they added. Yeah, they, they tweaked totally. a couple other things, but like that's the big one. Because usually yeah. you just put fatigue on, on your character and then clear it you know, by resting or whatever. This one's strictly by taking, um, I think it's a ready action where you can flip a card. Right. And you can flip your weapons, you can flip your skills, you can flip your character card, like, it all changes what you're capable of, but it also has that side benefit of wiping all the fatigue and wiping all the negative and sometimes positive status effects that you have on those cards. So it gives you a little more, I don't know, a little more variability in what you can do. Yeah, totally. But yeah, hopefully it's not dead. I, I know. sure hope they come out with at least some more. Of course, that being said, I'm still not done with the campaign anyway. So, <laughs> And I've got to play through a whole new one with Mike, apparently. So, Yep, yeah. totally. Well, as you might imagine, we've got a lot more to say on this topic, so stay tuned till next month for part two of this episode. In the meantime, if you have anything you'd like us to cover or discuss or make fun of during our 50th episode that's coming up real soon, be sure to let us know on Facebook, Twitter, Discord, or any of those social media things. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next month. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentOfBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening.
three, two, one. Mark. 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 Perfect. I'm so proud of you guys. Was that perfect? <laughs> no, no, not at all. But it's as close as we're going to get. Space, going to space. Can't wait.